1: And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts, or visit slate.com slash dsmplus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks.
2: Nobody else could fill my spot. It's, I mean, that's huge to me, and that's what belonging is. I feel irreplaceable now, which before I never felt that. <laughs> <music> This
1: is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC, about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. Near the center of town in Casper, Wyoming, there's a small office building with a parking lot. On one side is the office for WIC. Women, Infant, and Children, the federal program that provides low-income pregnant women, new moms, and kids under the age of five with nutrition education and food assistance. On the other side of the building, across the lobby, is the office for CLIMB Wyoming. That's a job training program for single moms experiencing poverty. And that's where I met Hannah, who's worked for a construction company as a truck driver for three years.
2: Right now, we're working on the interstate right through town. Um, The interstate, so that's the I-25 construction work? Yes.
1: Okay. I admired your company's work this morning when I came into
2: town. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh, not many lanes are open Mm -hmm. right now. We're everybody's favorite right Uh now. (laughs)
1: Hannah is 34 and lives in Casper, where she was born and raised. She drives a dump truck that can haul 13 tons. The truck weighs about 50,000 pounds.
2: The tires are enormous. Well, let's see. I'm about 5'4". They go to my hips.
1: Okay. So. <laughs> and what's it like working on construction sites? Like, I mean, when you drive around town, like, do you see places where you've worked?
2: Yeah, I get really excited. Um, like, when I'm driving with my kids, I'll tell them, like, hey, I paved that. And they don't care nearly as much as I care. But um, it's still exciting,
1: Hannah has two kids, 13 and 16. She loves her job and the financial stability it's given her.
2: I'm able to pay my own bills without a second income in the house. Um, I'm also able to spoil my kids a little bit, you know. I've got that little bit of guilt from just, you know, past mistakes, and you got that parent's guilt that it makes me want to spoil my kids, so I do. And I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says about it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I make enough to now have a dog, and I can afford his vet bills and get him food. And to me, that's um, that's being rich, is being able to spoil your kids and have an animal.
1: <laughs> Climb Wyoming helped Hannah get her CDL license through its 12-week job training program. For more than 36 years, CLIMB has worked with single moms experiencing poverty to help them secure work with local employers. CLIMB does about 14 trainings a year across the state of Wyoming, with 10 to 12 women per session. CLIMB doesn't just provide job skills training, though. It's also designed to promote deep relationships among the moms and mental health support. This was useful to Hannah, who left high school at 16 because of crippling anxiety.
2: I dropped out of school because if I was 30 seconds late to class, I just hate, I didn't want everybody looking at me. I I just felt like I didn't belong in the world, mm-hmm. That's all.
1: <laughs> that was something I heard from another mom named Kendra, who went through Climb's job training earlier this year. She described years of serious depression, including a suicide attempt, and that she learned she could talk about that with the other moms in her training, as they also learned concrete job skills together.
3: We learned a lot of things. Emailing, I was terrified of emailing. I don't know what it was about the concept of learning how to write an email, but I was nervous about that one.
1: (laughs) Like Hannah, Kendra often felt like she was floating, never really finding her place when she was coming of age. She's part of a big blended family and moved a lot between her parents' houses.
3: I have half siblings and step siblings. So, like, going back and forth and being, you know, I was a literal redheaded stepchild. (laughs) So.
1: (laughs) Kendra does have red hair, though she keeps it more strawberry blonde these days. She's 24. Her child is five. When she got pregnant just after high school, it wasn't planned. And she made ends meet with part-time jobs at her mom's restaurant and at a dog kennel.
3: I needed something. I needed something more to just... I wanted a purpose, and I didn't know how to get that. I didn't know where to find that. I didn't know how to go about that, but I knew I needed something. And then,
1: this past January, she saw an ad for Climb Wyoming on Facebook, and she called to learn more. She signed up for the next open session.
3: The first day, you go in and walk in, and you're kind of sitting, sat down at the kitchen table waiting for everybody to get there. So you're making small talk with these women who are also very nervous. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably what comforted me the most was just knowing that they were scared too. And then we all went into this big room. We did this exercise where we had a poster board that was for us to put all of our fears on. So we got a bunch of sticky notes and wrote down all of our fears and would go place it up on this poster board. There were fears about not finishing climb, fears about the next step or what it's going to take for you to stay in climb. That's a big one as well. Not being able to work all the time and having to take those days off to make it in there, which I was a little bit scared for too, for sure.
1: Kendra now works at a bank in her small town in Western Wyoming. And for her training that focused on administrative jobs, the CLIMB program broke down a lot of the unspoken rules of office work culture and how, if you don't know those rules intuitively, the ways that small annoyances can grow.
3: We had a saying that says they hire you for your hard skills, but they fire you for your soft skills, which hard skills are something you can learn in a training situation. As far as like QuickBooks, But soft skills, they are something that you learn over time, like communication, learning how to be a good communicator, and learning how to take criticism.
1: So Climb Wyoming's 12-week job training isn't your typical vocational program.
4: We talk, especially in recruitment phase of the program, really about it being job training because that's what most women come to CLIMB and are interested in. And we hear graduates all the time say, if I knew everything this program until, I would have never signed up (laughs) because it's a lot.
1: Molly Kruger is CLIMB's chief operating officer. She started her career as a mental health counselor. Katie Hogarty, CLIMB's CEO, is a lawyer who's worked in public policy. They sat down together in the CLIMB conference room in Casper with me and Death, Sex, and Money executive producer Liliana Maria. And from when we were just testing their microphones, you got a sense of the way they work together. Like when Liliana Maria complimented the
4: color of Molly's shirt. Tell
3: me about this color of shirt you're wearing because I don't see it that
2: often.
4: Oh, thank you. How would you
2: describe
4: it? I would describe it as uh, peach, I guess. Peach. Coral. Mm-hmm. Coral. Mm-hmm. Coral.
0: Molly has a um, really strong talent for identifying colors. And go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Molly is very. I'm just trying to test the levels, and I'm also complimenting your ability to um, know color palettes. You've helped me identify my color palette and my strong colors. (gasps) I never shop without thinking about you. We're thinking. This is where I was going with this. Do you know your season? (laughs) I do. (laughs) Molly
1: is a spring which is why that coral color looks so good on her. And she informally advises Katie on which color she should wear. Molly and Katie have worked together at CLIMB for years, and they became leaders after its founder and longtime director, who was a psychologist by training, retired a few years ago. And that basis in psychology has always been a core part of CLIMB's training program.
4: It entails individual group counseling, life skills, job skills, parenting, um, really, we're trying to support families who maybe haven't had opportunities or have understood what's gotten in their way. They just know whatever they've been doing is not working.
0: I feel like the, we're really overt about what we're doing because I think that helps to build trust. And so we don't come in saying, like, this is what we're going to do to you. Um, that's so n- not how we want to show up with the women that we work with. This is Katie again, CLIMB CEO. You get to mess it up at CLIMB, you get to practice and try again and get feedback or get validation. And so the first time your coworker kind of gives you the side eye at work, you've experienced that at CLIMB, you've been able to talk about it, you know what that feels like and you know how to respond. So just that practice, I think, helps create safety and sets women up for success at work.
1: And when you say this is a safe and secure environment, like you're saying, like, this isn't a place where you have to manage survival. Um, Yeah. Like, this is a place you can let your shoulders down.
4: Yeah, I think that's key to when a woman comes to climb, we wanna help her with whatever she's saying she needs help with. And so that's right where that relationship starts with a really strong, um, non judgmental welcoming. So many women have never had an opportunity to finish something or they've tried and they've failed. And that's really what they're familiar with. They're kind of testing us for that. And when are you going to kick me out? I'm going to do my thing and I'm waiting for you to kick me out like everybody else in my life has. And so I wonder when it'll be. And I think we're here to show them something different. Like we're going to bring it. We're not afraid. And we are here to support you. And if you mess up, um, what can we learn from it?
1: And as they're doing this private emotional work. Climb Wyoming also helps its participants to navigate through complicated public systems, like the criminal justice system or family court and custody. It's not just staff. The women in the program also help each other, figuring out childcare or transportation emergencies. The idea is wraparound support for these women as they are making these job transitions. And 98% of the women who start Climb's 12-week job training program complete it. But still... At the end of the training, these moms take jobs. And Molly says not all jobs are a good fit forever.
4: There are employers who it doesn't work out for, and they're not super happy. And what's really important in that space is that we listen. We want to know what didn't work. How could this have been different or better? But I think we're also really getting a sense of what's their culture, and is it a fit for this mom that's coming to them? And, and it might not be, and that's okay too. I, I just
1: want to, like, I mean, to me, that like that you throughout it sounds like whoever you encounter at climb, like you are modeling not being conflict avoidant and communicating about reciprocal needs. Um, that's not something I've always encountered in a workplace.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's. I think it's common to not encounter it, and I think we really intentionally are uh,
0: um, not afraid of it we have hard conversations with staff we had hard conversations with employers with participants and i think it uh it's difficult not everyone wants to show up at work and be vulnerable um and very intentionally
4: created so for you know we're a program developed by a psychologist our internal culture is leaning into productive discomfort so um it's an expectation we have with each other with staff um, I'm expecting any employee in the organization, if they have a problem, they're going to talk about it.
1: I haven't heard productive discomfort. I haven't heard that before. That's a good term. <laughs> it's very useful. I'm going to be using that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, I I like that as a standard because I think you, it can be confusing if you're expected to have like hard conversations and enter into conflict all the time, for for what end? I think that could, we we don't want to have unnecessary suffering th- because we're having hard conversations. That's not permission to bully or to point things out all the time or um or however you might show up. It really is for the sake of uh, productivity and for the sake of relationships.
1: Coming up, more from Hannah about the relationships she's taking care of now and how she ended up at CLIMB after a period of homelessness and time in jail.
2: It took some convincing because of all the stuff I was going through, but they really just, they took a chance on me. And despite all of the challenges I was going through, I'm like, no, you got to give me this chance. I belong here, (laughs) you know, and I'm hitting the ground running. Don't stop me. And so they didn't stop me. And... Here we are today.
1: (laughs) Last week, I told you about our new Death, Sex, and Money episode guide for mental health professionals. It's called, The Things We Need to Talk About More. And it's organized around the recurring themes in our interviews death, sex and relationships, money, family relationships, addiction, mental health, and moving through life stages. We've heard over the years that our episodes have been helpful to counselors or therapists. And we heard that again just last week from Wayne, a listener in Buffalo.
3: I have been teaching my first semester as a Masters of Social Work educator and have on multiple occasions use death, sex, and money as demonstrators of what individuals are going through as you talk with people about their own mental health struggles. It helps to demonstrate to students what individuals sound like when they're talking about their issues not in a therapy office.
1: Thank you, Wayne, for sharing our work alongside yours. You can find our new episode resource guide on our website at deathsexmoney.org slash guide. And you can also download the guide there as a PDF. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. In Hannah's family in Casper, Wyoming, when she was growing up, she was the youngest of four. She remembers feeling lonely a lot, like she didn't fit at home or at school, something she now understands as being related to her anxiety.
2: My anxiety took over my life, and um, so I really didn't have too many connections with people. And then, you know, I found this guy who just made me feel that. So I reached on and I grabbed on and, you know, I thought having a kid with them would probably make things better. And it, it, I mean, it, it didn't, <laughs> um, surprise. Uh, but you know, that's, that's why I had my son was because I wanted something more. I wanted that deep connection that I always saw other people have. And it, it, into my late 20s is when I started figuring out that it was my anxiety that kept me from having the connections with people. I could have had it. I just didn't see it as something possible. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And you say, so when you were 16, you describe it as as your anxiety getting in the way of feeling that sense of connection that you felt mm-hmm. like you craved. Did you have a word for it back then? Like, what, How would you describe it, your teenage self, describe what you were looking for?
2: Um... I I really didn't. I just felt like I didn't belong. Um,
1: Yeah, so school wasn't a comfortable environment.
2: No, I was really smart. I was really good at it, but my anxiety just took over my life.
1: She got her GED the same year her first child was born. And a few years later, she had a second child and was taking online college courses. But she was also using so much so, that eventually her kids went to stay with other family members.
2: In my late 20s, when I really started getting into my alcoholism, I, um, it, I was homeless It, and, and high all the time, and it kind of gave that balance to how I was feeling. When you think back on when when that period of a lot
1: of instability happened, like when you did mm-hmm. lose housing, um, help me understand. Like when you think back, what was the what started that kind of cascade um, of of bad of a bad time? Sounds like it was a tough time.
2: Um, it was. Uh, so, uh, like alcohol wasn't the big deal it was meth I I I did it for about a decade um and I I saw it as performance enhancing um it helped give me courage it helped um get my homework done it helped me get the house clean it it just it helped me be happier um and that's how it always starts. You know, it just, it's just so magical and enlightening. And you've, it helps you form relationships with people, or so it seems, you know. Um, but it got to the point to where I needed it daily. I needed it more. Um, and so my it, it just sent my emotions into this roller coaster of just everything's going to fall apart. And... Um, Everything slowly did fall apart. My relationship was strained because I was just a mess and got to the point where my boyfriend at the time was just over it and he chose chose himself over what I was trying to bring us into. He moved my stuff out and um, he did that while I was out of town. So I came back to nothing. He gave my kids to my parents, and my parents were just so mad at me, you know, and he'd go back to that, that anger and that disappointment. I just ran away. I ran away for, for about a year and a half while they had my kids, and every time I tried to go back, they were just so mad at me, you know, and so I just, I would leave again, and, um, you know, alcohol and Cohen meth that was my truest companion at the moment
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. when you say a year and a half like can you where were you
2: Um, uh, a lot of the time I was exploring Casper the part of it I had never seen before Um, I did have a few friends who would let me stay on their couch or just stay over um But for the most of it, you know, I had my favorite bridge that I like to hang out under. I didn't sleep at night. I slept during the day. It was warmer and um, felt safer. Um, And that's if I did sleep. Um, I I never walked on the sidewalks. I always had my own path through town. I just wanted the most discreet way to to be here and get where I needed to go without being seen or noticed. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I got to know the dumpsters around town. I know where to get good food from. I know where to get just pretty much anything you could ever want or need. I knew which dumpster to get it out of. Um,
1: And I just, for people who don't know what it's like to be in Casper in the (laughs) wintertime without a place to go at night, like, what would it feel like?
2: (laughs) Painful cold, windy. Um, I learned to keep a candle with me. Um, there was a couple nights where I probably didn't freeze to death because I had a candle with me and I huddled around that that little flame for warmth. Um, a lot of the time where I was at, it was too windy or too enclosed to have an actual fire. So a candle, there's a Couple nights I'm certain a candle kept me alive. Mm-hmm. I remember one night I was it was so cold and I had nowhere to go and I didn't want to be alone and I just started screaming at the sky. Um, like I don't want to be alive anymore. I don't want to be alive anymore, and I'm just I'm screaming. It was so dramatic, so incredibly just dramatic and moving at the same time. And My I don't want to be alive anymore evolved into I don't want to be alone anymore. And that to me was just, that was when I decided that I I wanted to live. I just needed to find find a way to not be alone.
1: Hannah went to her parents' house, where her daughter was staying, looking to reconnect and for help. But she had some meth with her because she was afraid she'd need it. And then she got in an argument with her dad. Mm She broke a bottle, her dad called the cops, and the cops found her drugs. She was charged with child endangerment and spent six months in jail.
2: Well, when I got out, I was, you know, I got a housekeeping job. I had to take any job that would hire a felon, you know. Um, and I was just always looking for more. I was always looking for a new opportunity because I I needed something more than a housekeeping job to, to get what I Wanted, you know, and I didn't want to get it from a man. <laughs> I learned that lesson, you know, when you when you give somebody so much power and you rely on them so much, they can just take it all away. Um, so I was just always looking for that opportunity that would set me on my own map. Um, and it, I don't know. I think I was scrolling through Facebook and it just popped out at me. It was like info meeting for CDL drivers, I was like, huh, I could do that. (laughs) I think I could drive a truck.
1: And that's what Hannah's been doing for the last three years. Sometimes she's on the road to different parts of Wyoming, doing deliveries to mines and wind farms or hauling soil and rocks. But for the most part, she gets to stay close to Casper. Her anxiety still shows up, but she told me she now has more tools to deal with it.
2: I remember when I first started my job. You know, go back in school. If I was late to late to class, I just wouldn't go to class. Um, the first time I was late to my job, I sat out in my car and I was having a panic attack. Like, oh God, oh God, they're gonna they're gonna fire me. It's gonna look so bad. I hate being late. I'm not gonna walk in there because it's just a big room with a bunch of people um, having our safety meeting. You know, and. I didn't know what to do. I so I called Grace up. She was, was Grace. Um, she was one of the ladies here. At climb. Um, yep, yeah, up at climb, and and I told her, and I panicked, and I cried, and and she just sat there and listened. And um, by the time I was done, just rambling and ranting and crying, she um, kind of just she's like, "All right, take a breath." Um, she's like, "No, what what can you do?" I mean, and, and she she never gave me the answers of what to do. She kind of like led me to um, the answers on my own. Um, but in that moment, she just really helped me calm down and kind of see how everything was just if everything was going to be okay. It's not life destroying because I was going to be a couple minutes late to work um. I, I told her, I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to try to breathe. I'm going to go. I'm going to let you go. And I will let you know if I lost my job. <laughs> okay. And, um, but she, everything was okay. <laughs> because okay. it's like,
1: um, what you're telling me is like, you know, climb didn't fix everything where you don't have hard moments anymore. Like, that yeah. you still have moments where your instinct is to hide,
2: mm-hmm.
1: sounds like. Um, yeah. But now you have someone to call.
2: Yeah, I have someone to call or, you know, if there is no one to call, I can usually just go through those conversations in my head and kind of talk myself out of just completely running away and destroying everything that I've worked for.
1: And Hannah's got her family. She credits her parents with supporting her through her sobriety. Her younger child is back living with her full time. Her older child lives with his dad, and Hannah sees him every day.
2: That's so when I got about seven years, till so my daughter's 18. And um, I'd like to stay around here. You know, my family's here. But I know that at some point, I want to just have my own truck and go over the road, go traveling, um, and just be Hannah. Trucker Hannah. <laughs>
1: like a side question, but I'm just, I think a lot of people carry around a lot of anger and it can get in the way of repairing relationships. Like, Mm -hmm. um, do you have any sense of like, when you decided to turn back towards your family, towards your parents, like Um, what, what, what you like said back to that anger or, or is that how you experienced it? I'm just wondering like,
2: um, what shifted? Well, I got tired of waiting for apologies that I felt like I deserved. Um and I just I mean and I I had to take ownership, you know, of I had to look at all the things that I did because it it was it's also personal. It's like I was so mad at everybody for doing all these things to me that I wasn't looking at what I was doing. Um and so instead of waiting for them to figure out their part in it, I just had to own up my part, and that helped me. Um, helped me, you know, re- whether or not they ever acknowledged it ever again, it's it's forgiveness within myself. Um, and just a desire to have that back because life is really too short to hold on to just so many things that a lot of people hold on to. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we you say that really simply, but it's really hard work. It so. is very hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I
2: I do it. I you know, I have to do it a lot and it's hard every time. It doesn't get any easier.
1: That's Hannah, a mom and truck driver I interviewed at the Climb Wyoming offices in Casper, Wyoming. Thank you to Kendra, Katie Hogarty, and Molly Krueger, and everyone at CLIMB for sharing their time and work with us. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by me and Liliana Maria Percy Ruiz. The rest of the team is Zoe Azoulay, Lindsay Foster Thomas, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Ellie McKay. The Reverend John DeLore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter if you haven't already. You can sign up for it and receive it every week. Go to deathsexmoney.org newsletter. Thank you to Brooke McEnroy in Iowa City for being a member of Death, Sex, and Money and supporting us with a monthly donation. We couldn't do this without you, Brooke, and all of our sustaining members. So thank you. Whenever Hannah isn't working these days, she loves being outside in nature with her dog or just being at home.
2: I mean, I know it's cliche, but I I do chores, too, when I get free time. And I really enjoy it because it's my chores. It's my laundry, my dishes, my house, my floors. So, (laughs) Oh, and yard work. God, it's so cool to have a yard, guys. (laughs) It really is.
1: (laughs) I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.